0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, and my co-host, or maybe I should say host today, Cole Miller. We are in for a special episode. I'm calling this one Cole's World because usually it's him and I collaborating, coming together in terms of who we want to talk about each week and in the, in the topics we want to hit. This week, I'm giving it exclusively to Cole. He laid out some guys that he wants to talk about to cap off our NBA rookie series, and I'm pretty much going on autopilot, given my reactions this week. This is Cole's show. I want him to be able to give his proper opinions on these guys, lay out where he thinks they're all at, and we're pretty much just going to have a fun, special episode of Cole's World this week. So without further ado, man, you ready to take the reins?
1: Absolutely, I appreciate that, that warm intro there, Nate, and like you said, I'm I'm going to lead the way today, I'm running point, and I guess, Nate, you could be Rocco or Dario from, from the process <laughs> um, still have Kevin producing, of course, no one can replace him doing that, so uh, let's just get into it. Uh, first up for me that I wanted to talk about for us today is uh, Denny Adija, and I think he's very important to talk about because he came into the draft process last year as the most highly touted international prospect. Super talented offensive game and super bright personality. So it was, you know, everybody was expecting good things for him in his his rookie year. He gets picked up by the Wizards, was seen as a great pick at the time. Uh, and so far this season, it hasn't quite looked all the way for him. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that, I think. But so far, he's only averaging just under six points a game uh, with 4.7 rebounds and 1.3 assists. And the assist thing to me is a little surprising just because of how much of a creative playmaker uh, he was built to be coming in. Uh, to the league, and the flashes we saw of that overseas as well. So I figured that would be, you know, maybe he would have more opportunity early, along with the Wizards to showcase that. But so far, it hasn't been the case. We've seen him in quite the locked-in three-and-D role. Uh, that's that's the role the Wizards seem to have him in, uh, next to Beal and, and Westbrook who carry the load down there. And but to, to his credit, I think he has really played the role uh, to the best of his ability. He's not moping all the time about how he doesn't have the ball in his hands and he doesn't have that offensive creativity um, right now or the freedom to do that right now. So he's giving it hundred percent to, to learn this role and be a part of a team or be a part of this team and, and fit in. But I think at times the frustration has shown through, and I'm wondering, Nate, what have you seen so far out of Adesia? Do you think the Wizards have kind of locked him in to this role? And do you think he has shown progress in the role? Um, and do you think we'll start to see more of that playmaking in the second half of this season? Because at times, Scott Brooks has said, you know, that seems really far off for him. But we saw the flashes and he seems like a capable, capable ball handler already.
0: So uh, Avdi is walking a very fine line in terms of what you and I probably thought he would be doing more of coming into the league versus what he's actually been task to do which i guess in a way is to be expected because this is a Washington Wizards team that definitely wanted to make the playoffs. They wanted to make some noise in the Eastern Conference bringing in Russell Westbrook. Obviously Bradley Beal is going to take his fair shot, a fair share shot night in night out. Both of them really they they they're gonna be gunners. So you would expect that not only is a is a coming in as a rookie, but he's also coming into an offense that has its assigned roles pretty much to everyone, right? Like somebody like a Thomas Bryant or like a Mo Wagner's there on, on cleanup duties in the big man role, Troy Brown Jr. When he's in the lineup, he's there to, to kind of be a floor spacer in the, in the same way that the wizards have used Obdia. So I guess it's a little surprising. Yes. That the assist numbers are down, but I also didn't really expect him to have the ball in his hands creating for others too much because of the presence of those other two guys and the expectations that the team has as a whole. Now, Cole, you can kind of give your thoughts because you and I didn't talk on air about where you what you thought about Evdi before the draft. I didn't really see him as necessarily like a point forward or, or that much of a playmaker per se, where I really saw his playmaking be incredibly valuable. In his, in his time overseas was as a quick decision maker, like a secondary quick decision maker. Like you get him the ball, maybe you run him off a screen, get the ball in his hands. And at that point, he's either taking a quick shot or he's making another quick read and more of like a design play. I didn't think that at least right now he'd come into the NBA and be this freelance creative playmaker. I thought that anything, any kind of passing responsibilities he would get would be a little more designed and within the flow of the offense. But he hasn't even really gotten that much opportunity to even do a little bit of that. So I, I I think that's more by team design. I think Scott Brooks is making those comments because that team has a clear direction that they wanted to go. I don't think this is quite the time for the young guys to be taking that much responsibility within the offense, but that could change in this second half of the year, depending on where the Washington Wizards find themselves, in between that seven to ten range to ultimately make a play-in spot to get into the postseason. So well, what do you think about some of my thoughts there, Cole, as far as how much of a playmaker do you see Avdia being as we move more into his future, even into his second year when we finish off this rookie campaign? My comparison for him, I'll just say, was Danilo Gallinari. I saw a lot of Gallinari in his game in terms of what I think he could become, and that's why I had him pegged as like the third overall prospect on my board at the time, the the, the famous draft-deeper big boards, but I had him there because if you can get a player like Gallinari in the top five of a draft class, I think you pull the trigger and you go ahead and get that player because even though he's been injured at times throughout his career when he's been healthy and when he's been able to show, when he's been able to stay on the court and show steady signs of improvement over time as as those games kind of rack up for him, he's been an incredibly valuable foreman, especially in the way the game's played today.
1: Absolutely. I think I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact that this was, you know, the plan probably in the early going for the season for him to be locked into this role, given that Westbrook and Beale are there. Um, and the team does want to make the playoffs to appease Beal to try and keep him around for sure. Um, so to your point about him not being, a, you know, necessarily a primary playmaker or natural playmaker, uh, he's more of an instinctual one. Uh, and, oh, with the quick decisions, like you said, I think that's pretty accurate. I think there might be a little bit more natural playmaking in him than Danilo, and I think you know Danilo is more of a more of that standstill shooter. I they just have I think Denny's more needs he needs to be on the move a lot more than Washington's giving him freedom to do right now. I think he could handle it, um, and given the way the season has gone for them, I'm not sure why they haven't at least tried it a little bit more with him. Um, he did come over with you know a very high pedigree. Uh, and it seems like he at times feels like he could definitely handle more in their system. So I, I think the Wizards need to be careful here because, yes, they need to maintain their idea of making the playoffs, but they also, you know, Troy Brown's honestly barely playing. He's getting some DMPs right now. And, you know, that's a little bit because they've asked him to stand in, in the corner a lot, just like they're asking Denny to do this year. So I don't, I think the Wizards need to be careful and not lose these young players a little bit too. Um, do you think there's any risk of that going on right now as they try and like really focus on the playoffs?
0: Well, that, that's a good point. And I know this is a, a Denny segment, but in, in a way it could also kind of be a Rui Hachimura segment too, because they, they really haven't given him much more responsibility and I don't know if that's where they ultimately see his future. They don't really think that he's ready to handle more offensive responsibility or, if Scott Brooks has quite literally just left this, the rest of this team play on autopilot and just stand there and watch Westbrook and Beal do their thing and these players are just getting shots and opportunities when they have, like, three defenders on them and eventually Westbrook or Beal kind of have to kick the ball out, right? Like, they, they could potentially be stunting the growth of multiple young guys, not just Denny. So, yeah, I, I think there's more to untap. From Denny, it depends on how creative they want to get within the offense, which, like I said, if they start falling out of playoff contention, then you might see some of these younger guys get more opportunities than what we've seen to this point in the season. Um, I I don't know what kind of thoughts you have on on Rui, but I'd like to see him get more opportunity in that young Wizards core as well because I I think that he was a very promising prospect coming out of Gonzaga, even though despite him being on the older side in relative terms to – who he got drafted around again in basketball age he wasn't really developed to the point of some of these other guys playing overseas coming into the states he didn't have that that same basketball age to to his credit so he still has development to do and tommy shepherd was really high talking about him before the season like he still viewed Rui as a really intriguing piece in the same way that he viewed Denny as a really intriguing piece, just both of them being the size to kind of play that combo 3-4 and really impact the game in more ways than just standstill shooting, yet that hasn't bore out probably because of the personnel they have around him. So, yeah, I, I agree. They could be stunning the growth of not just Dia, but multiple young players they have in the lineup.
1: Yeah, no, just to address really, real quick, it's definitely a shame to see that he hasn't taken that big step um, with the Wizards in, in year two. And I, I really do think there might be something there with uh, the growth being stunted of these young guys because they're being asked to, they're, they're being put in roles that are very finite and they're not, you know, they're really not allowed to work on anything else in the game. And so they're not getting that valuable in game rep repetition to expand their skill set. Uh, and so for a guy like Rui, especially who was working from behind the curve already, given his background, yeah, I think that's, it's troubling to, to see that happen to him so early in his career and, you know, Hopefully that gets straightened out pretty soon.
0: But to Um, your credit, I mean, even talking about uh, uh, Denny Avdia, like some of the stats that you pulled and and some of the things you pointed out in our notes that we set up for the podcast, and you even mentioned it, he's playing his role and he's adjusting to his role very well, Mm -hmm. even though it might not be as much as he could have thought that he might be able to handle in his rookie season. He still plays hard on defense. He still rebounds the ball incredibly well. And you get into the specific stats and the numbers about that since you found them. But yeah, he's doing a lot of the other dirty work that comes from being an NBA player and aspiring to, to play a role on a quality team. You have to be able to do a lot of the dirty work and, and willing to do so not just, of taking everything that's coming your way and that being the the start and the end of your quote unquote punch out the your your time clock punch out during a game right like he is contributing in other areas.
1: Definitely yeah and just to touch on the stats real quick um you know his three point percentage is up eight points from his Euro league play last season which is pretty impressive you know especially as he needs to fit into that three and D role that he's been asked to do. And then also he's in the 81st percentile overall with a 20% uh, defensive rebound rate while he's on the floor, which is Impressive for any rookie, especially one who plays, you know, that three-four combo position. Um, but moving on to a guy who is, you know, always on the move for his offensive opportunities, a guy that I liked a little bit more than the rest uh, of the crowd, I think last year uh, is Isaiah Stewart for the Detroit Pistons. Probably seen as a little bit of a surprise getting picked where he did in the draft. Um, but this dude is just an iron, you know, brick shithouse, for lack of a better for lack of a better phrase. He is is muscle bound he was ready to play in the nba last year from a physical standpoint um you know the skills got to catch up and reading the games got to catch up a little bit better but man this guy is an absolute rebounding machine he's a little bit of a throwback in that sense he's got some reggie evans in him and i think in that regard um his rebounding rates offensive defensive are terrific he's in the 97th percentile on offense and 82nd percentile on defense absolutely amazing for a rookie You know he's working his tail off down low using his body to carve out space. And he's quick off the ground to boot. He's quick off the ground in multiple efforts. He gets off the ground so fast, once, twice, three times, and he just works his tail off for those rebounds. Uh, And he's also got a surprisingly good um, 4.9% block rate, which is it's him into the 92nd percentile. So he's really earning a name on the defensive side so far. Uh, Isaiah Stewart is. And he's getting his offense sporadically, uh, mostly by just... That same hustle mentality he takes to the defensive or to the glass. Uh, He's beating guys down the floor. He's pounding uh, a a weaker body down to to the block and getting up a soft touch hook, which he has a nice touch around the rim. So he is capable of finishing. Um, You know, he's not the most vertically gifted, but when he has momentum, he's definitely able to get a dunk and he's a freight training transition. So he gets his his offense that way. No, what we liked about him, I think you did too, Nate, um, when he was at Washington. What we saw a little bit more of that he's not getting to show in Detroit right now is that he showcased a pretty nice jumper from about uh, 18 feet out, uh, just below the three point range, and even occasionally flashed that three point shot. And so far with Detroit, we haven't seen that a bunch. Um, So, my question to you, uh, you know, in general, of course, I want your thoughts in general of what you've seen so far with Stuart. But do you think we see that jumper as the season goes on with Detroit? Now, Blake Griffin is fully out of the way at this point. He rose is out of the way. They've really uh, turned the keys over to the young guys uh, to see what what's left or what they've got.
0: I hope we see more of the jumper because that that to, to your point was an incredible selling point for him coming out of college. Anybody who did like him was buying in that the jump shot would be able to translate in time in the NBA. Now, the three-point shot hasn't translated. The the free throw shooting about 69% from the line, that can absolutely improve. But yeah, his mechanics, especially from a mid-range perspective, like quick pick and pop actions, he should be knocking down mid-range shots with more regularity in the NBA. But at the same time, the Pistons haven't asked him to necessarily step outside of the paint and knock down some of those shots quite frankly, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Cole, but a lot of the film I've seen, they don't really even run that many plays for him in, in general. I don't see him involved in as much pick and roll as I believe that he ultimately could be. Pretty much everything he's doing is just pure dirty work, beating up on everybody else, bruising away in the paint. And we knew that he could do that coming in. So, and, and I think that everybody knew that, but If people thought that that's really all he was going to be good for, then obviously you wouldn't put that much value in taking him in the first round, let alone where the Pistons took him um, in in the middle of the first round. But you bought into that jump shot being a weapon early on and, and coming around. And I think that will come. It's just more about opportunity and how he's being used within the flow of the offense versus what he's actually capable of doing. Like, is that the case for his rookie season? maybe not but by like year two year three when he's a lot more comfortable when he has the trust of of more of his teammates and from coach casey who well, well we'll have to see if coach casey's even there in like two or three years time with how the pistons have played but you you'd figure that eventually he will get handed more and more and more and some of those other tools will will start to come out in in spades his jump shot at some point His mid-range jumper could end up surprising a lot of people, kind of like the way that Bam Adebayo surprised a lot of people with his mid-range shot making. I don't think his leap this season has been as quite surprising to me as some of the other mainstream media moguls have made it out to be. Like they act like he wasn't um, participating in some of that mid-range shot making last year when the Heat went on that incredible stretch. He absolutely did. Maybe some people just weren't paying attention enough closely, but That's the level that I could see Stewart getting to one day with his jump shot, which if he does, then that certainly allows him to be canning in about six to eight more points per game. And between that and his rebound rate, what he brings to the table defensively, him maybe being able to switch in more actions defensively, cover more ground. Like he's a really intriguing center prospect. And while I probably wasn't as high on him, as you were during the pre-draft process, Cole, I still firmly had him in the first round. And a lot of people who knocked him out of the first round, I didn't quite understand why because of the floor that he had with his physical tools and his athletic package. And then you just pepper in all those little skill aspects like we talked about. He, to me, he, he was a first rounder from from day one and he he never really should have dropped that much in the first place. And that can probably be said for the other Washington guy we are going to talk about tonight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I'm preparing for this and writing up his notes, I I couldn't shake this one concern that you know and probably this is largely because he's in Detroit and Detroit has been known to not handle talent the best over the last few years either. Um, hopefully, they turn the page on that going forward. But I couldn't help but feel like Isaiah Stewart's skill set is you know he's got this role on lock where he can you know manage the dirty work, out hustle everybody, chip in a few points, chip in some rebounds, and block some shots. Uh, for a few minutes here and there uh, every quarter like as more as detroit racks up these high-end draft picks and they bring in more talented guys does isaiah stewart get those touches to show off these things or does he just get you know shoved down the totem pole further and further again as detroit has these top draft packs draft picks come in and he you know is forced into this hustle role you know for, for his time in detroit uh, do you do you get that concern at all? Do you share that at all, or am I on an island there?
0: No, I, I would definitely share that concern a little bit. I guess my caveat would be a lot of his development in terms of opportunity within the offense, like I said, it's going to come from involving him in more pick-and-roll and, and pick-and-pop actions, and what better way to get involved in those types of actions if you have the correct point guard to be running those with? So I think his development in some areas is also going to fall into a lot of how Killian Hayes potentially develops because we haven't seen the best out of Killian Hayes this year. We haven't seen what made him such a special prospect overseas um, playing in, in for his team in Germany. I mean, you at you, you, France, excuse me, um, you saw Kevin O'Connor rank him number one overall on his big board, and he did that for a reason because he was a very creative playmaker, showed a potential three-level scoring package, and I compared him favorably to Goran Dragic because that's kind of the mold that I saw him in. And if you put that dynamic of a point guard talent with a big man who can comfortably roll or pop out and knock down a shot from the mid-range or even from three, that's a dynamic pairing right there and something that you would want to build around. So I think that I'm not necessarily worried about the other type of wing talent they could bring in around those two, but they got to figure the point guard thing out and whether that's killian hayes or they end up drafting somebody else like like let's say they get like a top five pick this year and they want to bring in somebody like jalen if it, it, it's going to be they need to figure out that point guard position before you can really expect too much more from the center spot
1: yeah i totally agree with you and then as soon as they do figure that out i think stewart will start to blossom i'm with you on that He's uh, a house he's going to set some pretty pretty awesome screens no one's going to he's already annoying to play against. You can just tell just the way
0: oh,
1: he's yeah. down low and like, nobody's going to want to go against this guy. And that's, that's an underrated thing. I think uh, about his profile that he is just damn annoying to play against. So, um, you know, moving along to a guy, you, you hinted at just a moment ago, his fellow Washington teammate, um, Jaden McDaniels, brother Jalen McDaniels out in Charlotte Hornets is uh, off to an interesting start in his career Honestly, I don't think we expected him to get this much run with Minnesota Timberwolves, given their depth. Alas, the Timberwolves have struggled with injuries due to COVID. Um, Cat has missed a lot of the season due to injuries and personal reasons. Unfortunately, again for him, really hope he can get back on the court and enjoy basketball again soon sometime. Uh, But Jaden's been kind of forced into this role, uh, sort of like Danny. He's been locked into this 3-and-D role for the Minnesota Timberwolves and more what's been standing out for Jaden in this role is not necessarily the rebounding, but is the shot blocking prowess that he's shown from the help side, uh, which is pretty interesting. So you and I both really liked Jaden back in Washington. And we thought the noise surrounding his effort level on defense or his willingness to give effort on defense at Washington and going forward was a little overstated. Uh, we thought he was you know, mature enough to handle that. His brother was in the league. Uh, you know, he, he knows what it's going to take to, you know, earn a role and play at the, at the next level. So we thought the offensive potential there was worth gambling on big time. And so far we've kind of seen him just locked into that three and D role, just shooting corner threes. Uh, occasionally he gets a moment here and there to try and bust a dribble move, but it's really not. It's, it's a super work in progress for him. Um, he can't drive left whatsoever. He's confined to the right side of the floor. Uh, so he's averaging five a game on three and a half, three and a half rebounds, one assist and 1.3 stocks, which is, you know, supported by one one block a game. So I think that's really impressive. And I think that shows just how much, uh, you know, people were kind of misled about his defensive ability and his ability to read on the, read the game on the defensive side. Um, you know, you don't just rack up one block a game willy nilly. Yes, he's long, but you got to be in the right spot at the right time to be doing that too. If you're a rookie. Uh, as raw as he is so the offense is a work in progress like i said um right now he's he's shooting he's confined to jump shots my question to you nate do you think he lost anything this year by not getting to play in the g league and you know work with the ball in his hands at an increased rate get to work on more things in the game or do you think this this role just like denny having him locked into the three and d role helping him read the read the league um at a young age is also a benefit to him.
0: I mean a lot of the things that uh coach Thorpe talked about in in our last podcast in terms of Anthony Edwards development potentially being in flux because of the talent not only the talent he had around him also the front office situation the coaching situation like th- there's a lot of the Timberwolves organization is in flux in, in general so I'm not necessarily going to say that McDaniels is suffering in any way by getting NBA minutes because I think that that's probably the best way to at least get him going and figuring out what he – can do and what he can't do and if he can't do enough things then yeah maybe you put him in another situation to better develop him but if he can do enough particularly on the defensive end to at least justify the minutes you're giving him and the time you're letting him be on the court then I think you absolutely let him run with the role that, that he's in right now because quite frankly why why would have anyone expected his role on offense to be anything else than what it is now like When when everybody's in the lineup going, you have Ricky Rubio and D'Angelo Russell as primary ball handlers. You have a a scoring threat like Malik Beasley taking a lot of shots. Obviously, you have the offensive hub and and the motor that keeps everything going in Cat. And then you're already breaking in another star rookie who is a primary shot creator himself. So there's only so many touches that can go around. Like Jaden McDaniels was never going to be used in any other way other than primarily like a spot-up threat, and then you have him on the court for whatever he can do defensively. That's just what the offense is going to allow for, right? So even if he was excelling with the ball in his hands and being able to do some some things off the dribble, more more keen to what he did back in high school, I, I don't think he would have gotten a lot of those opportunities one way or the other. So you you pretty much drafted him to, as a project, let him get his feet wet in the league and, and see what he can do on both ends. But, yeah, on the defensive end, Cole, you you hit the nail run in the head, breaking down everything he's been able to do on the ball, off the ball. Probably the best weak side shot blocking non-big that we had coming into the draft, and that's bore itself out by some of the numbers that you pulled. He, he was He was an impressive defensive prospect to evaluate when he was at Washington. Like, I specifically remember some games when I was scouting him going back and watching some film where he'd have like four or five deflections in a row, be that like when he's playing a passing lane or coming over, blocking a shot from the weak side, like he was always getting his hands on the ball and he always played with a motor. And when he was able to make some of those plays on the defensive end, that generally translated to offense a lot for himself in transition. So that was clearly one way that he could come in and impact the game at the college level. And it's been how he's been able to really impact the game at the pro level. I think a lot of the shooting will come around in time, but for now what he's doing on the defensive end has been so impressive. And for a team that doesn't really know how to play defense one way or the other, having him in the full to be able to develop and, and be one of those primary defensive playmakers in time for that team is going to be very valuable, especially given what could happen with that franchise moving forward. We have no idea if Cat and D'Lo are definitely going to be the future, or if the Timberwolves will ultimately get up off those guys. And then at that point, you're talking about Edwards, another rookie that they can draft. And then, you know, somebody like McDaniels definitely playing a big part in the future. So, yeah, I, I'm actually pretty happy with, with where he's at, given his defensive flashes. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect him to really be involved in much more this season.
1: Yeah, uh, you're totally right. This this should have been the role for him, given how stacked the T Wolves lineup is. Again, even it, with a healthy D Low and and downs, we're probably not even seeing this much of him. Uh, but I've been super impressed with the defensive stuff as well. Uh, he he does beat off of it. It seems you know it really does get him going, and that's great to see from a rookie. Uh, he, he's carried their defense at times, which is outstanding for a 19 year old kid. Uh, he really has turned the tide for them at times in games and and helped them come back and and be games tight like. It's been very impressive. Um, And nobody
0: talked about his defense, man. No one – I know you really weren't on draft Twitter that much during the pre-draft process because of some things you've alluded to in the past. But when when you were in those social spaces, no one talked about his defense. And I couldn't understand why. The whole book on him was that he was inconsistent offensively. People were really buying the jumper, the individual shot creation – uh, that that sometimes led to like this quote unquote, bad attitude that he sometimes portrayed on offense. Like, yeah, some of those things could be true. But at the same time, you have a guy who's trying, who gives a shit, who mm-hmm. wants to play at a high level. And it's like, how can you turn down that type of defensive talent who has latent offensive abilities that he definitely showed that he had back in high school. so there's there's game to build off of there. And I just I just don't see how you don't value someone higher like you and I did with that type of athletic and size package along with everything else he brings to the table. Yeah, I, I, I never understood it.
1: No, and he's seen his brother go through, you know, the blue-collar route to, to stay in the league so far, bouncing between the G League and the and the big league team. And, and you got to know that he's going to understand what it takes to keep grinding and, and do the little things to stay in the league and, and eventually hopefully show his, off his, his full package of skill. But yeah, I think... I think people missed on Jaden, um, from what I understand last year before people had him ranked, uh, and I'm excited to see how well he's done so far, and I, I'm hoping that the T-Wolves continue to figure out how to progress these young kids because you have, they have some really exciting young talent between So moving on, I'm going to let you take the reins on this guy because you're, you're, you're the Grizzlies guy on the team here. Um, and I think, you know, a little bit more about Desmond Bain than I do. Uh, he's quite the jump shot specialist himself he's been impressive in other areas on offense as well. So give me your thoughts on Desmond Bain so far with the Grizzlies. Uh, what do you think he's been most impressive with uh, so far for the team? What do you think he can continue to build on the rest of the way here?
0: I love Desmond Bain. And I think probably my my greatest regret in terms of someone who I would have liked to, to bring up last week with coach Thorpe, because he made that passing comment that he absolutely loves Desmond Bain too. I wish we could have gotten into him a little more, but that's fine because we're going to talk about him here. Coming into the draft, he was viewed as an older wing prospect. So that kind of diminishes his value a little bit. But what he did do was he shot the piss out of the ball in college. He's clearly shooting the hell out of it now. All of his shooting numbers, I will let you go through some of those shooting numbers, Cole, since you were the one to pull the stats. But all of his shooting numbers across the board are absolutely tremendous. And he gives something that Memphis has really not consistently had for many, many years. I am the Memphis guy. I was the big Memphis Grizzlies fan going back to those grit and grind teams where if we could have just had like one or two more shooters on some of those great defensive units that the Grizzlies could have made a finals run. They, they, they arguably could have went to the finals over somebody like the Spurs. They just would have had a little more shooting. Like if they would have had this Desmond Bain, Back on that team, oh my God. like i I can't even imagine some of the results. But that's how good of a shooter he's been. I mean, forty eight percent from the field overall, forty four percent overall from three. and automatic when he gets to the line about eighty eight percent. like he's everything you would want in, in a role player coming in. And one of the other things that hasn't exactly been highlighted by the stat profile, but was something that we knew during the pre-jab process was that, he was a really good decision-maker with the ball in his hands. Now, he's strolled to excel in pick-and-roll situations at this point in the NBA, but I think more of that can come with time and experience and familiarity as he gets himself settled into a role within the team. Like he, He's kind of been all over the place between the minutes he's playing one night. Maybe he has to star in, in a certain role the other night, so... And that's been because the Grizzlies in general have been in a little bit of a flux just with what they've got going on injury wise. Like we just learned yesterday that Jared Jackson's going to be out for a more extended period of time. Uh, obviously, so who 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 am I forgetting he justice Winslow that that's who I wanted to, to come off my head. like he he's obviously been, you know, absent since they traded for him. So they're still trying to figure out the lineup that they have around John Morant, who is a still, developing point guard in his own right. This is a really young team, but having a guy with the college experience and the maturity that Bain had coming in, being able to do what he can shooting the ball lights out and then add in some of that secondary playmaking, just in terms of what I talked about earlier with Denny, like what I'd like to see him do more of is just getting involved in quick actions and then making a quick pass out of some of those actions. Like that's what Bain does really well. That's what he did really well in college. And just having an offensive weapon like that who doesn't hurt you defensively. He has good size at six five, probably. the He looks like he's near 220. Uh, he's listed at 215, but he's 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 definitely a brick house of the guard spot in his own right. He's a physical presence. You, you, you're not going to lose anything defensively with him necessarily. So, yeah, just a really competitive rookie and, and a guy that... I certainly valued higher than where he was drafted. I think a lot of other people did too. Like I thought for sure some of the buzz that was coming out about him from the pre-draft process. I thought for sure he was going to be a top twenty pick. Like he was one of those guys on draft night. I couldn't believe he he slid. And Kevin can even attest to that when we did the live stream during the draft. Like he was a guy that I was like, why the hell is he sliding? Let alone why didn't Boston take him? I know Cole that that the you're a Peyton Pritchard guy, and I'm sure at some point. We're going to bring up Pritchard's name and and, and talk about him a little bit, but I, I cannot believe that Boston passed on him because if you look at what they're missing right now, Pritchard's been a really nice guy to fill in the gap for the Celtics in, in different spots, but what they really needed was a wing who could not lose them any ground defensively and, and, and shoot the hell out of the ball. Like Desmond Bain would have been perfect for the Celtics right now.
1: Well, you don't have to hate on Pritchard. They could have just taken him instead of <laughs>
0: Oh God. come on, don't don't dump all over Neesmith. Now I'm not gonna let you do that either. I'm not gonna let you pull your Bill Simmons slander and dump all over Neesmith. He's been he he's been inconsistently in and out of the lineup, but at the same time, you want to talk about potentially the best shooter in the whole draft class. Like I still think Neesmith can get there. It, it's just gonna take a little more time than everyone likes or wants to admit, but then again, Maybe he's not. He wasn't drafted to the right market because a lot of those Boston fans are unruly and they're impatient, as as uh, you and I are well aware of in the in the Philadelphia seventy sixers fan base. A lot of a lot of similarities in terms of what we expect out of these young guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But getting back to Bain, he's been an offensive delight for the Grizzlies, and and you hit the nail on the head with him. His role has been a little bit in flux all over, uh, just like the Grizzlies has. So as they settle down, I think his role will settle down too. You know he'll. Offense will be led by his jump shot making ability um, to get into those numbers you mentioned. He's in the eighth, 84th percentile on spot ups, which is 44% of his offense. So that's a big deal. That rates out as excellent, excellent on synergy uh, with no dribble jumpers. He's in the 89th percentile, also excellent. So he is definitely a marksman of marksman's. Um, and you pointed it out. He's not had the greatest success in pick and roll just yet uh, in the NBA. He's definitely succeeded the most where he's been able to just get up a dribble, a dribble jump shot out of those sets. Um, and I attribute that to probably because he's just, like you said, not as used to that type of responsibility. But it's definitely something he can continue to learn. He's an intelligent basketball player. Um, I think there will always be a little bit of a limitation there just because he's not the most um, explosively gifted guard. Um, he's a little bit, he relies on a lot of and Jerk and some craft, get yeah, his uh, space creation, but he's good at it. And he has a feathery touch from range. So I don't worry about him. Getting his jumper off, going forward in his career, and I think we're going to see more uh, of that passing ability uh, start to trickle into his offensive game as well. Um, they've got some nice wing players all of a sudden out there. If Justice can stay healthy, uh, Brooks can sort of find his way again. Um, but with Bain, do you think he can? Do you think he pushes for the starting job next to, to Morant down the line, or how do you see that kind of? Playing I
0: sure out? hope so. I sure hope so because they need a dead eye shooter in that lineup, and who who better than Bain? at this point to step in and fill that role like I I know they've tried to throw darts at the board a little bit like like somebody like a Grayson Allen but Allen's ultimately not the level of player that that Bain is and it's not necessarily because of pure talent or athletic ability like if you had to compare the two players like I'd probably take Grayson in terms of like the physical traits other than just like the pure size and muscle on his body but when you break down the other parts of their games, how cerebral of a player Bain is and how much of the offense he's, he's able to come in and grasp right away and then excel in, like, you, you, you don't excel in so many different areas shooting the ball like he has by accident, right? And, and, and that type of performance doesn't just come from solid mechanics either. You need to know where to get those shots, when to get those shots, and how to get those shots and i like that you use the word craft cuz he has a lot of nifty stuff that he can do go to inside the arc as well he, he rates out as good on runners yeah he's got a little push shot when you get him close enough to the basket so he can score in multiple ways like i've seen him between his time in college at, at TCU and some of the stuff he's already done in the nba like i've seen him knock down almost every shot you can think of in the book he's just not elite at creating those opportunities one on one because of some of that um non-elite explosiveness that that you talked about. His handle isn't absolutely superb. But when he's given enough space to make something happen, he will go and make it happen. So having somebody else like that who can offer you value when the offense breaks down, when Morant's not able to make the right play, or Jaron Jackson's walled off going to the basket and he doesn't really have an open look for something, you need another guy to be able to break the glass and, and hit the emergency button with and, and Bain is a smart enough and instinctual enough player to get himself in the right spot to make that happen when he's called upon.
1: Yeah, totally agree. And playing to playing next to Morant, like Desmond really needs to be a de- explosive first step guy because Morant is, and Morant will be able to drag defenses all over the place. He already does. And Bane is a really good scorer on the move as well as standing still. So yeah, I think, I think that's going to be a really nice, effective pairing for them long-term. Um, you know, I think they, they, they got their guy big time there. Um, and I think we're going to wrap this up here with another guy who just loves to play basketball. Um, super competitive, high-energy guy. Hometown hero, Paul Reed, for us. He was the 57th overall pick for the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, and I remember Terrell Morey being interviewed shortly thereafter the draft and being asked how he felt about it. And he made some comment to the extent of saying, you know, can I feel like I got an MVP award with the 57th overall pick? Something like that. He was stoked to have Paul Reed, um, you know, in his program, in the Sixers program. And I think with the G League season almost complete, we're about a quarter away from the championship wrapping up here. Um, We've all now seen why as Sixers fans and as basketball fans, why Darryl Moore was so excited to get Paul Reed in-house. He's putting up a ridiculous stat line in the G League. Of the week at least once, um, but he put up 22.3 points per game, 11.8 rebounds per game, 2.3 assists per game, uh, 3.7 steals and blocks per game combined on a shooting line of 58.8 from the field and 44.4 from three. And he was shooting 3.6 three pointers a game. So it's not like it was just a small sample size fluke from three. The guy was getting up his shots and he was canning them at a high rate. Um, now, his game is really predicated on that hustle and quick twitch uh, motor that he's got. He runs the court extremely hard. He sets good screens. Uh, and you know, he's able to, able to, uh, fade screens pop, uh, and set it and roll and catch and finish as well. So he's really, really effective out of the screen. He's got that quickness that that will uh, give him an advantage going forward against other bigs who don't have that quickness that he does. And he follows it up with an insanely good touch around the rim as well, which has helped him keep that points per game up really high. Uh, And and he's a workhorse on the glass. He is a top five uh, in the G League on offensive rebounding rate. So, you know, know, he's quick off his feet, getting points that way as well. The guy is just, I can't say it enough, he's a bundle of energy. And you, you see it, if you watch him play, he'll bust out a smile almost every few minutes or every three minutes. And you just love to see that because you love to see your energy guy play with such passion. Um, it, it lifts the whole team up, and I think he'll have that similar role, if not more of that uh, than he's getting. He kind of got an expanded offensive role with the G League team here, but I think he'll get back to that you know, consolidated energy role with the, with the Sixers. Um, my question, Nate, to you, do you think we see him, now that the G League season is about to wrap up, uh, with the Sixers at all? Or do you think there will be trade acquisitions that will prevent him from uh, playing a role in the Sixers postseason push?
0: Another, I sure hope so, because I, I'm really surprised that I wasn't higher on him coming into the draft than I ultimately landed. I know he was one of John Hollinger's most favorite prospects. Like I think John Hollinger ended up having him as like a lottery pick. And while I thought that that was really high at the same time, now that you and I are able to see more of him, I kind of get why that was the case. And why I don't think he's this star forward prospect by any means... Uh, I don't know if I've shared this with you or not before, but I would compare him very favorably to to one of my favorite role players ever in in Jermichael Green. I I absolutely love Jermichael Green. I love everything that he brings to the table. He's a really solid big body who can stretch the floor for you whenever you need it. He's going to crash the boards offensively and, and get some easy buckets that way. And then, while he's not he's not this amazing defensive player, he's going to bring the effort necessary. And it's not like he's small either; like he can go up, block shots when he needed. He can rotate. He can switch out a little bit. So yeah, there, there's some areas defensively where he he might struggle in a little bit. But he's always giving energy, right? Now Paul is blessed with better athletic traits to an extent than Jermichael Green. I'd say Jermichael Green is overall better size. Who knows how Paul Reed continues to fill out into his body, but Paul has the length and the shot-blocking prowess that Jermichael Green doesn't have. But they're both, in my mind, stretch forwards who are going to give you high-energy play off the bench. They're going to be able to stretch the floor. The one concern I have with Paul Reed's offensive game is in that jump shot. He needs to fix that hitch. Like he Hmm. has a noticeable hitch in his jumper that, yeah, he's knocking some of these down, but that's not going to last for forever unless he gets his shot mechanics tightened up a little bit. Like it's, it's not even just like a little bit of a hitch. Like it's incredibly noticeable as he's catching the ball and then bringing it up from his waist to be able to then go up for the rest of the shot. Like it's, 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 it's pretty bad, but you know what? He gets it to go in and it's not like his shot's quote-unquote broken because he's nailing so many of those jumpers in the G League, and that was something that he really took the time to improve on in college. Like, you know that the ability's there. It's just tightening up those mechanics a little bit, and then he's going to be really good to go in the future. But, yeah, I I, I like Paul Reed a lot. He 100% has a bright future in the league, maybe – He's not like the starting caliber forward, although Jamichael Green definitely was for for a few years, particularly in Memphis. Me being the the, the old Memphis fan that I am, uh, but he obviously he played valuable minutes last year with the Los Angeles Clippers in the playoffs and a lot of big shots for them. Um, he's had his 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 opportunities here and there at Denver. I don't I don't think that they've quite scratched the surface of the type of role that he could play for them as they move later into the season and then into the postseason. So. Being a big fan of Jermichael Green, I see a lot of similarities between the two, so I kind of have to be a fan of Paul Reed. And if that's the type of impact player that the Sixers can get from him coming into this postseason, if he's ready to to step in and take up a little bit of that Jermichael Green mantle, then I think we really have something uh, that's able to come off the bench for us when we get into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of feel he has that super potential, especially on this team with, with a Ben Simmons who's going to you know be 6'10 and be able to, run pick and roll with him uh, and have Paul Reed be able to step out as Ben attracts defenses, you know, all the way to the rim. I know he's got the hitch, but I think it's going to work for him. He might iron it out a little bit more. Um, you know, he probably will just because of professional coaching, but Chris Boucher also has an ugly shot and he's converting it. <laughs> and he's on a team where, you know, he's got four guys who can, who can draw the defense away from him and give him a ton of daylight and he's confident in it. So I think that could be the case for Paul Reed, too. So I like your Jim Michael Green comp. I think he's got a little bruché in him as well where he can come in and just fill out the stat sheet in a hurry in every which way. Um, so, yeah, I think the Sixers hit hit a big there. Maury um, has a great track record in the second round. So it's definitely exciting to see Paul Reed make such an impact in the G League. Um, and Isaiah Joe, who we might get into another time, has also shown some, some, some good things in the G League. Um, but just to wrap it up, it's been a great time uh, we're getting to run this show I, I thank you Nate it's been a pleasure talking about some guys that have caught my eye here um, I think the arrow is pointing up on all of them to be honest they all do good things on on the court right now um, and they have bright futures ahead of them and uh, yeah that's it for me
0: yeah everyone who wanted to dump on this draft class I think the whole draft class period has, has a, a giant up arrow over it Like uh, we we talked about it coming in that there were a lot of role players and some gems hidden in this draft class. you just had to, to, to do the work and find them. And I think for some of these teams picking later in the first round, some of their selections in the second round, a lot of that draft homework that they did over that extended period where they, they couldn't have anybody in for workouts, but they could really dig into the film and, and, and maybe do a lot more film watching than they've done in the past. They were able to do their homework and really find some, some great draft steals in this 2020 class. So I'm really excited for everyone that we've talked about today. Uh, I'm excited for the entire draft class in general, but especially some of the other guys that we hit home on the last two weeks as well. And this isn't the end of us talking about the NBA rookies. We're going to be back wrapping up their seasons um, as the regular season for the NBA comes to a close with something that I really like to do Cole. I would love for us to do like a rookie of the year ballot and then ultimately fill out like our all rookie first and second team. That's going to be a great exercise for us sure. in the future. Um, but again, thank you everyone so much for listening to this podcast. I guess we, 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 we can't quite wrap up without just putting a bow on the G League season, right? I think that's something that you wanted to do. We're recording this on Thursday, March 11th. The the game uh, that the Blue Coats are in right now, the game that Paul Reed's in right now, is about to wrap up. It looks like the, the Lakeland Magic are cruising to an easy win and a G League championship, which, which good for them. Delaware had great success in the G League bubble. Um, Raptors 905 was the top overall seed. They ended up getting knocked out and, and, and beaten in, in, in a surprising... Lost, but uh rg league ignite guys since this is a draft show we kind of have to to wrap up the season and give our closing thoughts on how we feel the experiment bore out i thought it was a success it, it certainly appeared that way at the start of the year when they started out 4-0 and um, they they lost some games and they fell off the wagon a little bit but ended up winning that last game to get into the playoffs. And they, they won that last game pretty handily. And it it was a tough break because they went up against the Raptors, not a five team that has tasted very much G league success in the past. And you knew that that was a team that was going to be well coached, well prepared and come in and, and probably blow the doors a little bit off the young guys who this was really their first taste of professional basketball they've gotten. But um, Cole, I know that you've been high on Jalen green this entire time that we've been able to watch him in the G League. We've shared some of our thoughts on uh, the other two guys that flew under the radar a little bit coming into the season, but Dyson, Knicks, Nixon. And Isaiah Todd certainly had bright spots. And in my mind, I think they've won over a lot of executives and scouts and they probably have first round cases now that they might not have had before that G League bubble process. And Jonathan Kuminga had a little bit of injury trouble towards the end of the G League season, but he certainly Came out early on, as we talked about in a previous podcast, and burst onto the scene and really solidified himself as a top five prospect. So, uh, is there anything else that you really want to share on some of the G League Ignite guys before we put a bow on that season, and then we'll revisit them a little deeper at some point?
1: No, I just echo your thoughts there. I thought it was a resounding success, uh, the first time, first season for the G League Ignite squad. Definitely helps to have the level of talent they did, and uh, for for. Young players that were very good and all playing big parts of the team throughout the the course of their mini season here. So I hope the success continues. Um, you know, if you're if you're a prospective college D one basketball athlete and you're towards the top of the class, you're not really feeling college. You know, this this looks like a credible outlet at this point, point. and I think it helped raise the competitive nature and the appreciation for the G League uh, around the, the around the rest of the league as well for fans and the players. I think. Players felt, you know, I think the players continue every year to feel more and more, uh, you know, excited to play in the G League, knowing it's a real opportunity for them to to turn some heads and get back or get to the league uh, and and reach their dreams. So, yeah, no, I'm excited to see what the G League Ignite team looks like next year.
0: By the way, before before I close out the this podcast, shout out to potential number one overall draft pick Kate Cunningham for the, the season that he had at Oklahoma state. Um, even though that some felt that he didn't deserve the big 12 player of the year honors, that's still one hell of an award to win as a freshman. And he, he didn't have to stick it out at Oklahoma state when some of those sanctions came down, he, he could have absolutely transferred out and, and, and found somewhere else to play, including even the, the G league Ignite. which ho- Holy cow. Like if he would have ended up on that G league Ignite team, I can, I can only imagine the, some of the results that could have happened, maybe him throwing some nice lobs to to Green and Kaminga on some transition stretches. But yeah, I, I just want to give a shout out to him because it shows that you you don't always have to to go somewhere else to find success. Some people coming into the season wouldn't have thought that he had much talent to work with at Oklahoma State. Um, Ice likely was a guy who was well-known at Oklahoma State before Kate got there. He obviously played a part with some of his veteran leadership bringing that team together. The Boone Twins have been phenomenal all year. Avery Anderson, uh, a gem, Cole, that you and I have certainly grown fond of as the season has gone on. A lot of them have certainly grown from playing with a playmaker like Kate Cunningham, even though some of his assist to turnover stats don't quite bear that out. At the same time, his role having to find his place in terms of being a number one primary scoring option at at times, but then having to take a step back and and get everyone else involved. And a lot of these guys that I rattled off that he has around him, they weren't quite aggressive, heavy shot makers and shot hunters coming into this season. But Cades helped empower his teammates with some of his playmaking to be more comfortable hunting for a lot of those shots. And, And him being a leader in those huddles and being like, no, nah, I'm good. Like you guys, you guys can go out there. We're, we're going to do whatever's best for the team. We're going to come out here and we're going to win games. And it's not always going to be because of me every night. He's been more than willing to take a back seat at times to some of the talent he has around him. So I just wanted to give a shout out to him for a, a phenomenal year, another big win over West Virginia today for that Oklahoma state team. They've been one of my more fun teams to watch all year, not just because of, Cade being one of the top guys, like we think he is, but also some of the other talent that's been able to develop because of his leadership, and and also credit to the job that Mike Boyden has done keeping that team together and and rallying the troops and rolling off some big wins here in a tough Big Twelve league.
1: Yeah, no, his maturity is is way beyond his years, and I think if you bring this team back entirely next year with Cade, I think you see his assist numbers probably double because of what you just said. He's been able to because of the talent he is, he raises the game of everybody else. He just forces you to, to be better. He finds you in ways that other players just don't find uh, guys on the court. Um, and so like, I think you build that chemistry with this team for another year and his assist numbers look way better. That said, he has really helped shape this team. Um, his fingerprints are all over it. And I think, you know, it's kind of like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and all the great quarterbacks. He's he's able to take raw talent or, guys who were kind of nobodies and, and helped them turn them into at least role players, if not big time contributors, uh, as as those quarterbacks have done over the course of their career. So he's, he's headed for stardom. Had he been on the Ignite team this year, throwing lives to Jalen Green, that would have been some, some preview to some all-star game stuff you know, <laughs> down the road here, I think, but uh, maybe we'll see that in time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Again, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in every week. As always, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. Like our Facebook page. Talk to us. Cole and I are, are always looking on that account. We're always looking to start some conversations and and get in some as well. So definitely keep the communication going with us and we, we thank you so much for, for the, the listenership and the viewership that we do have. And we hope to be doing this for, for a lot longer and, and stay tuned to, to the website. I've had some some personal transitions going on in my life, but trust me, the writing is coming back and we have a lot more profiles that we want to get out there. So definitely keep your eyes peeled towards us and hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Enjoy the wrap-ups of the conference tournaments that, that, that are going on. And we, we got a preview of some March Madness, I guess, next week, Cole. He- yeah, head into the next sure. week we have we have a special guest planned uh, already but we, we are gonna have to do a little bit of tourney talk so thank you everyone hope you all a run for us your week